No matter what the market is doing, what your situation is, or where you're looking to buy, buyers almost always feel on the back foot trying to figure out how to win the game of property negotiation to secure their dream home or investment property. And this is one reason that buyers start making offers because they want to avoid the pain of auction. They don't realise that this shopping around process is even more painful than an auction because you cannot see those other buyers. You don't really know whether they exist or not and you really don't know whether they've made that offer or not. Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as down Download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au In this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different and I'm going to unpack the marvellous mind of my co-host, Veronica. As we all know, she spent years on both sides of the property negotiation, so I thought I would do a little bit of extra education myself on how to get better at property negotiation. Now, to be blunt, I honestly feel knowledge is not enough in negotiation and a third party like a trusted local specialist buyer's agent will always have the edge. This episode is targeted if you want to go it alone. So without the need for any introduction, let's do this. Oh, thanks for having me on, Chris. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's something I'm, I guess, a little bit curious in. I get lots of questions all the time with clients, you know, what should I do? You know, what should I make an offer? And I always say, look, you know, what you need is intel from local buyer's agents, but let's say they don't want to use a buyer's agent. So I think this is what this episode is about. It's, you know, let's say you're just the average punter on the street. I mean, the real risk is agents getting everything you've got, which we'll talk about. (laughs) I mean, there's another one. We've got clients who, you know, just have consistently the last, you know, the one who misses out. You know, they're so close. It's like 10 grand and they, they miss it. I mean, there's also what do you do if it's not about winning at auction this episode as well, because I know you've written a book on that and you're very passionate about that. But how do we buy before or if it passes in or it's, you know, on the market after an auction, how do you get it after auction? But also some of the do's and don'ts with negotiation. I know that I was absolutely awful trying to <laughs> play this game when I was, even though I had a buyer's agent a couple of years ago, I was doing everything to butcher the deal. So, <laughs> you know, that's kind of the main things we want to get into today. But I think the, where I want to start is literally at the start. And so let's say you're first thinking about buying a property. I mean, what do you, should you do first before you go to the market? Do you just go and have a look? Do you start going to auctions? Do you research first? I mean, how do you get your mindset right, do you think? It's actually interesting because in Home Buyer Academy with Megan, we actually have surveyed a lot of first home buyers. And it's interesting that you bring this up because the feedback we get is that so many first home buyers turn to mortgage brokers for advice when mm. they're looking at putting in an offer. And it's like, well, how much should I pay? Yeah. How do I do it? Should I make a pre-auction offer? And and so you just sort of run through a whole bunch of thoughts and questions and it's just interesting that you brought this up. So, okay, so when you first start looking to buy a property, it's it's so exciting, you know, it feels like going shopping and, yep. it's, you know, it's full of hope and you get out there and quite often people start online and they're looking and they're often looking at what's being advertised and looking at the price guys and they're thinking, oh, it's all very affordable or very achievable. <laughs> and when they actually get the money in their pocket, 
or when they've actually got their finance approved and they're ready to buy. And that's when they get out and start looking. And that's a bit late really Mm. because the reality is what you see online, unless you're really looking heavily at sold properties rather than what's on the market and or unless you're tracking those sale prices, you're going to have a complete and utter disconnect between Mm. what is and what's possible and, you know, what you're hoping for. And so that getting out and looking and educating yourself as to the possibilities of different budgets, the compromises you're going to need to make, the ways agents operate, just going to auctions, observing, you know, tracking sale prices, seeing what a property looks like in the flesh rather than online. All that stuff is really essential preparation, but it's what a lot of people don't do. And so then they're on the back foot when they actually do start it because they've got money, but their expectations and their budget often are not aligned. And yeah, so, and, and particularly if you're in an auction area, you need to get to auctions. I can't tell you the amount of people I've met who are bidding at the first auction they've ever attended. And I just think, yeah, oh my God. <laughs> I think you're right. I think some people have the, I don't want to look at property because I want to buy it. So I'm not going to look at it. You know, I don't want to go into a clothes shop and look at clothes because I know I'm going to walk out with 10 clothes, you know, and spending a thousand dollars. And some people have that impulse sort of uh, tendency. And so they know that they don't want to sort of, you know, get them all excited if they know they can't buy, but absolutely you should be doing the opposite, right? Like even though mm. you're not pre-approved yet, I mean, that's definitely something you should be doing before you seriously start getting looking at properties. But, you know, going to auctions, I think that's a key thing because a lot of people look at it and go, well, I'm not ready for that auction. It's next weekend or it's tomorrow and uh, I haven't even looked at the property and I'm not even ready to go, so there's no point going. But just going to that auction and getting that reference point because that's where you really know the price, right? Like if something sells, you know, if it's price undisclosed, you don't really know what it goes for or even just, you know, seeing how many people are in the market, how hot it is, right? How many yeah. other bidders are around your price point? Do you think people look at, should look at different properties that they may not even be able to afford? Look, I think what they should do is they start off looking in the area they want to look for the type of property they think they're going to be buying and then mm. they probably will be looking at what they can't afford anyway because <laughs> it's human nature, right? Um, That's true. So, and, and that, but that is the starting point. I mean, because if you get too broad, you're going to overwhelm yourself yeah. and a lot of buyers spend a hell of a lot of time ping-ponging all over the place you know, trying to get the head around different areas, different price points, all that sort of stuff. So you can you can go the other way too. You can actually look at too much. So yeah. sometimes you can just saturate yourself and then get bamboozled. It's actually, you know, it's why we put together the Where to Buy workshop on Home Buyer Academy actually because, because you know, th- this is sort of a, a do-it-yourself version of our onboarding process when we bring in clients to the business because yeah. you do need to focus your attention but you can't focus it without actually understanding what the possibilities are. You know, so that's and that's a hard thing. It's chicken and the egg, but you you've got to. And then and then what I often say too is that people they set their budget all wrong. You know, that they yeah. they set it for what they think they should be buy spending or what they feel comfortable with or or what they hope or whatever. They go to the the mortgage broker and I mean, you tell me this. So I guess the, my understanding is that when money is easy, in, in that the banks are happy to give money away. A lot of people cut themselves short and do not go to their maximum. And then when restrictions kick in, everyone's working out all sorts of ways to actually squeeze as much money out of the bank as possible. Mm, true. And so what what I say to people is that, look, you know, I, I'm not going to talk to you about your affordability. I can't do that. I'm, I'm not on the finance side of things. However, you do need to understand how far you are 
able to go to if necessary for the perfect property. So it's an if and it's all those provisos. But if you start off your search with capped at what you feel comfortable with and you're you've missed the mark, you're out of, you're out of sync with the market. The amount of time it takes you to catch up and work out where you need to be, you've lost ground. You might be a bedroom short, or you might be borrowing much more money than you would have in the first place if you'd just gone to your max and then actually started looking and and worked down from your max rather than up, you know? Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. I think you said where buyers come to mortgage brokers to get advice around making offers. I think that we're constantly saying, look, this is not our expertise. You need inside knowledge. You need to know the situation, the vendor and how the agents, and you need to know the market and no mortgage broker is going to know that, you know? And so you're asking the wrong questions to the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And I think with the budget, that is absolutely where a good mortgage broker should be able to help you because understanding your repayments, understanding if you did spend a little bit more, how much those repayments would be. You know, it's just this morning I jumped off a, a, a client who's, you know, is looking to sort of do a big upgrade, but they've got very lumpy income. You know, one's a self-business, you know, architect, one's a, you know, sort of, I'd say the other job. Um, but yeah, very sort of lumpy income. So like, how do we, you know, work around repayments and sort mm. of, can I, how do I use an offset account to give me that confidence? It's very often it happens the other way, like you said, Veronica, people come to us and then they go out in the market, can't afford what they want. Then they come back to us, can we increase our budget and can we increase our budget rather than at least being open to that initially and then working your way back down to the comfortable budget for yourself. So I guess getting back to that sort of first looking, I mean, agents are pretty good at this. They know that if you're new hot on the street, you're that new mm-hmm. person entering a market, they must have like a big sign over your head. And they definitely treat you differently, I think, when they first see you. I mean, what do you say? Like, do you, how do you answer their questions? Because they fire them at you like, you know, completely unprepared. Like, what's your name? What's your phone number? How long have you been looking in the market? You know, have you got any other properties to sell, et cetera? So how do you play that sort of first words to the agents when there's usually only a few in the marketplace that own it and they want to put you up on their sort of board of buyers? Yeah. Look, and they, they work out who the tire kickers are and who's realistic and who isn't and who's desperate and who's not and who just missed out on five properties and is going to pay whatever for the next one. You know, they, they mm. know all that. And, look, I think, you know, never kid a kidder. So the problem is that the agents are smarter than the buyers in this scenario, right? They know, yeah. they deal with every buyer. They've heard it all before, let's face it, all your tricky little ways that you try to <laughs> get around. You know, they have heard it before. So yeah. so just don't even try to play the game. You don't know the rules. So just be straight up. Play a straight bat is what I say. Hmm. And what that means is that before your finance is easy, I'm not yet financed. We're going through the process. We're just getting to understand the market and learn the market, right? Now, if you're straight up with agents, the good ones will actually help you. Hmm. They will give you tips. They will give you advice. I'll point you in different directions. They're also going to try and sell to you, but they're not going to bother until you're pre-approved. Yeah. You know, and, and actually there's an argument and I know there's an argument out there as to whether you bother getting pre-approved even, but that's another, we could probably do another podcast on that. So they're not going to, until you're ready to buy, put it that way, finance, ready to buy, they're not going to, they're not going to push pressure you because you, they know that you're just a waste of time in that regard. But, you know, be friendly to them, be nice to them, be open with them. Then when you are finance, you do have a budget, it doesn't hurt to tell them what you're looking up to. You know, you can be a bit vague. You can go oh, looking at around 
one and a half, around two, you know, it doesn't have to be specific, but they actually need to know vaguely where you're at so that they can actually tell you about listings coming up, you know, the old off-market thing, which is a bit of a furphy, but at the same time it does happen and an agent isn't going to tell you about property coming up if they think it's outside your budget. So it's a bit of a catch-22 there. You keep your cars close to your chest, but the agent won't know. You tell them and then you worry that they're going to get every dollar out of you. Now, and that's when it comes to the negotiation. You don't have to give every dollar to the agent just because you told them that's in your budget. You know, there's different ways of going about that whole negotiation process, and I'm sure we'll get to that. But I just think don't try to play games. Don't put, don't be silly buggers. Just be just be open and reasonable without actually spilling everything. Yeah, I mean that's the point, isn't it? I mean, what where is the line? I mean, I you know we're a young couple with you know, thinking of, we're new to the area, we're just sussing it out right now. And then they say, oh, well, you know, what are you looking to spend? I mean, when they start asking you more sort of questions around lots of different things, you know, what's your other asset? You know, like sometimes, you know, agents ask these questions, you know, what are you? Well, you know, they, what are you going to sell properties? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, so where do you sort of like, you know, because there's information they may want to start to use against you in the future, potentially. I mean, should you just sort of try to cut it short and then move through the property and, really live, hold back everything around, say, other things, you know, maybe a baby's on the way or things like that. They're going to notice that one. but um, <laughs> Yeah, potentially if it's, uh, you know, sometimes the first one could be hidden for a while. Yeah, I mean, how do you sort of play that? Do you sort of try to befriend them or, you know, and be share quite a lot and, you know, become mates with them almost in, a, you know, in some sense? Or I think do you- some of them, yeah. You know, and you you will start to the more that you deal with agents in the in a particular area that you're looking in, you will get to know the ones that you are you know are more able to trust or mm. work with. You know, at the end of the day, they're all looking after the vendor, and yeah. that is their that who pays their their bills basically. So you've got to remember yeah. that they're all looking after the sale, the seller, and any help that they give you is really, <laughs> um, you know, in as a you know, in order to get that property sold or get a future one sold. And they've always got their radar out to see, well, who's got something, who's got my next listing. And certainly when I was a sales agent, that would absolutely be a question I'd be asking every single person that comes through a property when we do the callbacks on a Monday because that's normally what in the, when they do them. It's like, do you need to sell before you can buy? You know, mm. and it's not like, do you have a property I can come and appraise? <laughs> do you have a listing? Yep. They will use more roundabout questions you know they're not going to be very some of them are blunt they're just learning or they're too stupid to have worked it out but a lot of them have very very slick dialogue very very clever ways of uncovering stuff and so if you spend the whole time on your guard it's just going to be stilted and awkward you know you're probably not going to hide too much from them I think that's what you just have to accept that they are more the skilled ones are way more skilled at getting information out of you than you are of getting information out of them and just roll with it just accept it yeah. And stop trying to fight the system, you know. Well, that's right because it would be you could be shooting yourself in the foot, I guess, yeah. is because you're trying to hold everything back. You're trying to outsmart the agents. They're going, you know what, you're hard work. I don't even know where you're at. Well, can I, I tell you, it does actually happen and not often but enough that where the agent is so annoyed at a particular buyer that we get favourable treatment because we're easy to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. And if we buy the property for our client for less money because we're easy to deal with or for the same money someone else is prepared to pay and they might go higher because we're easy to deal with, then that's a huge negotiating advantage. 
We'll go at the end, Veronica, about the ways buyers agents can potentially help. And I think that is, you know, one of the sort of ways, right, which we'll talk about at the end, your little pitch on why you still need a buyer's agent. <laughs> but I think if you get to the, the viewing, right, like, okay, so you've been, you got through the front door, you walk around, you're like, you know what, we actually quite like this property. I mean, you know, it's hard to contain your emotions sometimes. It's um, subconscious, <laughs> you know, it's the whole podcast is about, but I mean, do you show you're keen? I mean, I always laugh at the ANZ ad where I think the guy's walking around pretending he's not keen, but he's like super excited inside. Yeah. I mean, do you play it cool? Like, like how do you play that? Like, do you um, <laughs> just sort of go in, walk around and then leave or do you start getting the tape measure out? Once again, you know, the agents have seen it all before. They've seen the guys <laughs> trying to play it cool and so oh, like, oh, God, get over yourself. So just be <laughs> honest. But, I mean, I, you can go overboard though. I've had clients that want to get out tape measures during inspection. Do not do that. What you don't <laughs> want to do, the agents will be skilled at reading you, but the other yeah. buyers won't necessarily be skilled at reading you. So don't give away too much. But, yeah. you know, I'd be looking to see how many other people are, are giving away sort of signs. Mm. Absolutely. Because you want to get a gauge of how, you know, other people are responding to this property. And that's a double-edged sword, of course, because you want it to be popular because you want down the track when you go to resell it, you want it to be popular, but you don't obviously want to fight for it. So it's it's a hard one. But so in terms of the agent, you've really just got to let the agent know you're interested because if you don't, that agent won't keep you in the loop. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. You get chopped out of the deal or you don't get enough early warning that there's going to be yeah, something sure. happening. Now, yeah. they, once again, double-edged sword, agents can use that to try to, we call it manufacturing an offer out of interested parties, particularly if they feel that you're the strongest party. So you, there's it is careful how you manage this, but at the same time, without letting them know you're interested, you are not going to be part of the deal. So... In yeah. New South Wales, no, I know we've got listeners all over the country. In New South Wales, the first thing you do when you're interested is ask the agent for a copy of the contract. Yeah, yeah. Now, in uh, Victoria, be a copy of the Section 32, I think it's called. You know, in in Brisbane, there it's there's not exactly a contract, but there is like an offer document or whatever. So whatever the document or whatever the actual mm. piece of information you require from the agent to actually move forward, you need to ask for that to flag that you're interested, and that's really just first yeah. step. Should you be a contract collector though? <laughs> well, you can be one of those irritating people, yeah. Yeah, you had to four McGraths or three Bells and we asked a contract from every single one so they, they put you down as a serious bidder on five properties. So Yeah, don't do it for every property, <laughs> just the ones you're interested in. <laughs> yeah, so you take the contract, you get there, or you don't take the contract, it gets emailed to you. You know, most of the time I assume. So We um, download it from some website yeah, so, you know, exactly. they so, track you, they know when you've done it. You didn't have it on my sort of questions, but you're right. Like that's the Monday is you, your phone goes nuts or even Tuesday if they're a bit busy, right? Yep. So you know, what do you do on that call, right? Like I've I've got the, you've got the contract, sir, you know, you're enjoying that. How do you think about the property? Like do you, do you start to say you're actually quite interested? Do you sort of still play it cool? Yeah, I mean how do you play that? Yeah, look, we offer, depending who, see, for us, once again, buyer's agent, I can, I have relationships with different agents and I know which ones are going to give me better information than others. And I also know that yeah. on a Monday after a first open inspection, they are not even going to know a hell of a lot. Yeah. So, so it's not even like really quizzing them to find out more information. And you can ask a whole bunch of really dumb questions and get answers that you don't know what to do with, you know. <laughs> so quite often I won't even take the call if I'm interested, but I will text them and I will say, thanks, got your message, interested in this property, you know, 
if I haven't already asked for a contract, please send me a contract or whatever. But I will flag via text. So I'm not having a conversation with them at that time. And I then, we go through our due diligence process and we've got our sort of process of what we need to go through in order to work out, you know, what to do next, right? But it's just letting them know. Now, obviously mm-hmm. on the phone, they're going, a good agent is going to be asking all sorts of questions about your situation and, you know, bad ones just go, do you like it? And then hang up, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So there's all varying degrees of what they're after. Most of them have got their assistants on the phone. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Rather than yeah. them. You know, so it, it the actual call itself is going to vary depending on who it is and how skilled they are. So, you know. The assistants are sometimes just as skilled as the art because they can sort of, you know, swoop in behind, right, and maybe the real friend that gets the information that they mm. need to tell to their key agent. Uh, obviously, everything you say is shared to them and uh, I've noticed that they are actually sometimes better than the agent of building the relationship. So, yeah, just be a bit careful of them you know, getting too close. So let's just say you you avoid that call because I think that makes sense, right? Like you, if you can just send them a text, let them know you're sort of still interested. But, you know, I think you, I mean, you answer. I mean, how many times do you think you should look at the property if, you know, you haven't, you've only seen it for 25 minutes uh, on open home or that. even 10 minutes because <laughs> yes. you were running late because, um, I don't know, you had to quickly go to the loo or get a coffee. You know, how many times do you prefer to look at it? And if you were buying a property for yourself, I mean, I know you don't have this luxury all the time. That's another conversation. But mm. would you want to see it twice? Would you want to see it three times, different times a day? Like, what do you think? How do you play that conversation even? Like yep. do you just call them and say, I want another viewing at 4 p.m. because I want to see the light? I mean, yep. How do you do that? At least twice, at mm. least. And we have a practice in our business as well that we really want that client to see it twice. And obviously sometimes clients away or, you know, mm. can't for whatever reason. We see it twice. And it could be that two of us see it different times and we will photograph video and all that sort of stuff at different times as well. And there's certain properties that, you know, if there's a noise, you know, it's a question mark over noise or a question mark over light or parking or or if there's a question over, well, what could happen at different times or different days, then absolutely. But you don't have to actually inspect the property a lot of the time for some of those things. You can actually just go down there and hang out a bit, (laughs) you know, stalk. Yeah, be careful doing that too much though. <laughs> Sitting out the front on the camp yeah, chair. That's just, a bit weird. Uh, yes. <laughs> so the market's hot at certain points, sometimes it's not. Let's say you want to see it a third time. Like, you know, there is an argument, there's this reciprocity effect, which we've spoken about on the podcast as well. You know, they do mm. a lot to sort of help you and you know, spend a lot of time trying to get you to buy. Do they want you to sort of be the buyer? You know, and so yeah, you know, are you asking for too much to see it three times? Like, do you piss the agent off? Do you, you know, should you sort of get that third viewing if you think you need it, not just for the sake of it? Well, definitely don't do it for the sake of it because, you know, it's yeah. like anyone has got a, a checklist and, and totally rigid about how they do things and don't roll with it. You know what I mean? That's just mm. sort of a bit naive. But the thing is that there are some agents who we call in our business, as you, we've probably talked about the podcast before, you know, we've got eight different avatars of different agent types. And obviously you've got to consider the different agent types when you're doing your negotiation. And, you know, one of them is the volume agent and they like to smack them out the door. It's all about, you know, oh, we sell more, so we sell them quicker so we can help more people or that yeah. sort of palaver. Mm. They are very skilled and slick on dialogue. They're very good at getting, getting you to make offers, all that sort of stuff. And that sort of agent isn't going to be that excited about making special trips to the property they want they've got a process and they, they're punching you through that sausage machine mm. and then you've got other agents that are much bigger on the psychology of it and they are they will 
work on that reciprocity effect. They will really, you know, that they are more than happy and will encourage you know, out of scheduled inspections because they know exactly how powerful that can be. Mm. It does come down to the individual agent, but sort of in terms of whether you should have a third inspection, it really does come down to you. Are there questions in your head? Do you need to go and have another look? If you're just doing it because you're not sure, it could be that you're just nervous, a nervous person, but it also could be that you're really not sure about the property. And so yeah. if you, I see, yeah. you've got to be, I guess, have enough self-awareness to work out what is it with you. If you're just nervous, Nelly, then more times you look at it, probably it's not going to help you. If you do have question marks and niggles, you do need to go and have another look. This is million, yeah. multi-million dollar purchase you know, don't be shy about asking to see it more times. And and yeah. I, we used to have a joke when I was selling. It was like if someone sees it four times as the death knell, you know, it's like they're indecisive or whatever. You know, the person who bought my house back in 2015, they actually saw it four times and I did say to the agent, you know, they'll never buy it. And he said, no, he said, <laughs> I, he said I thought the same thing, but I bet they will. And they did. Yeah, yeah. Well, that happened to us. We were in the fourth viewing on a place and the fourth killed it for us. Um, there you go. You know, a couple of open homes, one private, and then we got a second private at a place because mm. there was a niggling thing around the lights, and that actually was killed the deal. And we were so glad we didn't buy that one. Yeah. But you're right, that was the fourth one. You, know, you mentioned there the open homes and sussing out the competition. I mean, is part of that the best thing about negotiation, knowing how many other people are interested? You know, agents will always sell you there's heaps of interest or sometimes there's not enough interest. Oh, no, um, they, 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 <laughs> <laughs> the moment they're saying there's six contracts out, it's like every property, six contracts. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. whatever. <laughs> Should you be like getting there? Let's say you're something you are serious. You know, you went to a first open on a Saturday and the next opens on a Wednesday or a next Saturday. You know, should you get there early? Should you suss out the competition? Should you be having a little checklist out, telling up how many people went through? Um, <laughs> should you be doing that? I mean, or are you starting to sort of overcomplicate things? I think you're overcomplicating it. The problem is with that sort of information is what are you going to do with it? You know, yeah. and look, I know what to do with it, but do you? You know, does the, does the average buyer know what to do with it? I would say no. So so I don't think it helps. So just think what what I often hear people overthinking, and that is when they, they do go along and they start to sort of look at the other people and then they start imagining their life stories, you know, and then they've got, they've, you know, they've, they've, they've sort of worked these entire negotiation scenarios in their heads and it's like, yeah. oh, my God, you are so overthinking this. Well, it's a fun game for some people. I don't really enjoy that sort of um, <laughs> hypothetical game. Um, I'm a bit more of a practical sort of like assume, don't know what I don't know and I'm not going to assume. Uh, yeah. But, you know, some personalities they do. do enjoy sort of, uh, you know, reading everything about people and building up a whole life story of where oh they're at. Oh, my God, even Googling them. Like I've, <laughs> I've heard some seriously yeah. stalk. I mean, it, I don't yeah. think it helps them buy a property. I just it helps them yeah. show that they've got a slight <laughs> emotional problem. I've got one client who we actually just bought for last week and it's hilarious. They've been looking for quite a while and they looked at everything and every agent knew them and even to the point that when we bought, I got congratulation, you know, texts and messages from a number of agents. Oh, so good that you bought for these guys. They have been looking and they're so active in the way that they look and they've obviously got a genuine interest as well, but they've actually met other people like them along the journey. They've now yeah. referred somebody that's like them and they're like, yeah. oh, you know, now we're not competing with them because, because, you yeah. know, we were competing for the same properties. Now, so that's sort of interesting that they actually made friends with other buyers. They've got two sets of friends that they've made in the process, yeah. right? And so you do, when you are looking in a, in a quite a finite area in a set, in a budget, you will see the same people. 
And yeah. that's an extreme example, making friends with them. But when you go to auctions, and we do too, we say, oh, right, they bid up to that on that and that and that and that yeah, and that. And true. I walk through yeah. an, uh, an off-market on Saturday afternoon and and as I'm walking through and there's all these people clocking each other because they were all registered at an auction that was pre- you know a week prior. So yeah. that sort of thing happens. And so I guess you can, you know, if you want to start taking notes, people and go, well, they stopped bidding at that and they stopped bidding at that. But, you know, that that's sort of once again you you got no background knowledge as to why they stopped bidding on that on that property mm. you know yeah, that could have yeah. been you know for whatever reason they didn't like it as much as they like something else it could have been that they were trying to avoid going to their maximum and then they just yeah. started chucking the towel and just go hell for leather it could be that you know they got scared off by another another bit of bidding style like there's so many reasons why somebody might pull up stumps at a certain price yeah and so there's only been one auction ever really where I was so confident with the intel I had on the other buyers that I went in so hard and I knocked everybody out and made the paper, of course, and it was a bit hairy really. But the reality is my intel was better than I've ever had on a property. Mm. And that was I knew recent sales. I knew what different buyers had gone up to on different properties. I knew that there were other properties that sold off market that were more than the offer I just put in on that property, all Mm. that sort of stuff. But I knew all of that. It wasn't in my head thinking out scenarios, you know. This was actual (laughs) intel evidence. And 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 I've been buying now for, what, 14 years or so. Yeah. And I've only been able to do that with such precision once. Yeah. So, okay, so let's say we just look at the competition. You see, I mean, how hot it is, which is a good sign for you to know when you want to sell it one day, which mm. is you want a property that's hard to buy, easy to sell, and not easy to buy, hard to sell. So can talk about the terminology, I guess. Like, you know, I guess agents are going to ask you a lot of questions and they're going to potentially be saying things to you that might give you a bit of information around sort of, the interest or things they want you to do, how do you flip it back to you? Is there any intel that you want to know as a buyer, any questions you want to sort of ask the agent that, you know, might help you in some way? Or is it just literally way too early for this thing? You're just looking at properties, you ask your questions a bit later on. Well, here's the questions that most buyers ask. I go, oh, will the vendor sell prior to auction? Why is the vendor selling? How many other contracts are out? You know, they're the sort of questions that every buyer asks. And my answer to asking those questions is, okay, A, do you believe what the agent tells you? Answer is usually no. And B, what are you going to do with that information, particularly given Mm. you don't even trust it? So don't ask those questions (laughs) is the answer, right? Yeah. But you can ask different questions such as what's your process going to be if you get a good offer prior? And, you know, you get all sorts of answers, but it can be quite telling because it might be that it really shines a light on the fact they've got no idea what they're doing. (laughs) And this happens. And I I had, oh, that'll be driven by the buyers. I'm like, well, why would that be? You're the the agent. You're the sales. Why would that be driven by the, what do you mean by that? You know? And and the, so sometimes, I mean, I had a negotiation the other week and I, honestly I felt like I was the cat with my paw in the goldfish bowl. Like honestly, yeah. it was just hilarious. It, this was a like a, a sales associate who's just been given his training wheels to actually go and start yeah. using all this dialogue and I'm like, oh, my God, this is just adorable. <laughs> and and it was just so predictable as well, you know, and and look, I can do that because I do this all the time and I've got an ear for it, right? And every time yeah. I hear a new tactic, I think, oh, hang on a minute, I haven't heard that one before. I wonder what they're trying to do. Mm. Now, buyers don't know that because yeah. they're not in it 
day in, day out like I am. And so you're not going to be attuned to hear this stuff. Yeah. But you got to understand that boring questions or dumb questions, as I call them, to the agent don't help you. So you've got to ask much more specific questions and you've got to have a reason for asking the question, i.e. you're going to actually use that information in some way. So when you ask specifically, what's your process, offer process, Mm. if someone comes in with a strong offer, then they'll tell you, oh, this one's definitely going to auction. Oh, okay. Why is that? Or well, we'll shop it around. Basically, we'll we'll go through every single contract hold until we've got the last one standing. Oh, okay, thanks for that. That's good to know. Or we'll call for best and final offers, you know, that, or, or I don't really know or I haven't even thought about that or I haven't even discussed it with my, my vendor yet yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. just a sheer answer will give you a sense of how confident that agent is of pulling in a deal very quickly. Yeah. If you like what you're hearing here, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars, please. Every review helps make it easier for other people to find us and hear what our amazing guests have to say. We love hearing your questions and we're planning more listener Q&A episodes. Please send your questions in. You can send them via the website, which is theelephantintheroom.com.au or directly via email to questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. I mean, a lot of them just say, which uh, is, it's going to auction. But is that really true? Not always, no. No. I mean, let's face it. I mean, it's easier for them to go to auction because, mm. like, they've got a deadline, they've got a time, they just go, right, line up, line up, line up, especially in hot market. Come to auction, I don't want to hear about it. And so, you know, one of our avatars is a lazy agent. They just die for cover. They don't answer emails. They don't respond yeah. to calls. They don't answer text messages. It's like, I don't want to know, don't want to know, I don't want to know, fingers in ears, don't give me an offer because I'm, you know, we're not, we're not selling prior. They don't have to yeah, increase yeah. their quoting. Like it's all this sort of la, 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 don't want to know, don't want to know. And then you've got right through to agents that actually then will agitate to sell it prior because they want to sell more. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of catch-22. You could do that. They could just kind of blank everyone. So that's not much effort, right? Just no. do the open home, mm. blank everyone. If they really get pushy, send them the contract, but don't really call them back or anything like that and then get to the auction and just sell it. Yeah. Or, you know, the other argument is that, you know, they try to get the sort of deal done to save all the effort of the four open homes and the auction. Yeah. So I guess some agents will probably try to play it different ways. But let's say you do want to make that that first offer. I mean, I get clients saying, oh, I made it a conditional offer. Uh, on a property and I'm like, have you done a building and pest? No. Done a contract check? No. <laughs> okay, so what have you actually done? I just told them at the open that I'd be willing to offer them 1.3. Um, I mean, how do you use it? You know, obviously, we could, <laughs> that's probably not the greatest way of doing it. But Definitely not. You know, let's say you want to sort of make offers. I mean, where do you start with that process? I mean, do you do your DD before? Do you get a check? You know, what are some of the tips you should sort of do for in person, over the phone? Like how do you sort of you know, best get making an offer that's actually a real offer, not just you saying a line at an open home? Oh, uh, you know, agents have a saying called buyers are liars. A bit cheeky. You know, we're talking earlier about what you tell the agent and all that sort of palaver, you know. So, you know, you think that you don't trust agents. They don't trust mm. you either. So they aren't going to necessarily trust an offer that is just thrown at them at an open house because you could go away and get shaky feet or maybe you don't have pre-approval at that level or whatever, you know. So they're, they're going to want something a bit more substantial from you mm. and usually that means an offer in writing. But the most substantial way to deliver offer is on a contract or unconditional, right? That's the most compelling way to make an offer on a property. Now, 
if the gap between your offer and the acceptance of your offer or that usually that's not of your first offer, by the way, usually that's after some negotiation, the gap between that and when you are ready to seal the deal is the most vulnerable period Mm. of time because that agent has sold it. And when they've sold it, like they know they've sold it to you basically. And in the absence of you coming forward, if they've got other buyers, they will, their tone of voice changes when they're dealing with other buyers. The sense of urgency is conveyed very, very clearly in a subconscious way, as well as a a conscious way to other Mm. buyers. So therefore, how you deliver an offer is really critical to making sure that you don't open up the opportunity for somebody else to outbid you, you know. Mm. So you need to understand the terms. You need to understand the circumstances. Is Is it private treaty or is it auction? You know, in Queensland, for instance, if you're making a private treaty negotiation, you have to understand all the terms that you'd want to put, make that offer subject to. Mm. You can make offer subject to in most places in, in Australia, just not in New South Wales. Because <laughs> if you're making an offer subject to something in New South Wales, then you're not you're not making an unconditional offer. You're not making something that the agent is going to be able to bank on, right? Mm. So you've got to understand the terms, the de- the actual rules of the game in terms of how offers turn into purchases or sales, right? And then you've got to close that gap. So when you sort of throw an agent an offer on a, on a Saturday at the open house, well, yeah, sure, they might, they're going to take you seriously, but you're not ready. You've only just yep. seen it. You haven't really thought it through. You haven't done your research. You haven't worked out the price. You haven't done any due diligence. You haven't got the contract reviewed. You haven't done your building capacity inspection. You haven't done yep. all the other stuff that you need to do. And you really need to have done that stuff before you make an offer, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Very rarely do we engage in offers before that. And I had to do that actually just the other day. And I said to the client, I said, I hate doing this, but if we don't do it because it is going to be sold very, very quickly, you need to be in the game, but it's a placeholder because I'm still not going to recommend that you buy without having done the due diligence. We just need to buy enough time. And, and in the end it went to a buyer who, who was prepared to go in without doing any due diligence, you know, and paid a lot of money for the privilege. And so that's okay. We didn't go ahead in that property, but, uh, while the price seemed somewhat reasonable, <laughs> you know, we've, we've got to play it a certain way, but that's a very unusual way for us to go about things. I agree. I mean, that's to me, it makes sense to get the path of least resistance to the agent, right? And if you're wanting to make an offer and it's a serious offer, potentially it could be something that they're going to, they will show to the vendor, let's say, but potentially things could go fast, really fast, mm. you know? And I guess it's, you want to be sort of as prepared as, to, you know, and make it, you know, oh, the object is subject to a building and pest. Okay, well, that to me doesn't feel like a real offer or it is no. subject to, I don't know, whatever it might be. Conditional to finance, I get that as well. Well, you know, you should have your finance sorted. You should understand <laughs> that finance isn't a problem, the valuation won't be a problem, et cetera. So don't throw that clause in there. You're just creating hurdles for the agent. And mm. I mean, even things like you think, do you get checks for a lot of your clients or do you just sort of say we'll pay a holding deposit? How do you sort of play that? Yeah, so the holding deposit, holds nothing. It's, it's yes. just an intention, you know, and in reality it's it absolutely so what, you know what I mean? Mm. And so when you want to seal a deal, you've got to pay a deposit. Now that amount it varies from state to state. In New South Wales it's typically a 10, 10%, although it can be negotiated down to five. In other states it can be even less, you know, depending mm. on where you are. 
So how that deposit is paid, I mean, certainly that's one of the things that up front we get that understanding from clients. It's like, how will you pay the deposit? Well, I don't know. What do you mean? Now, a check, it's weird to think check, a checkbook, but it is a very, very convenient way to pay a deposit. You know, you literally yeah. just write the thing out. You can transfer money into that account the next, you know, that day after you've written the check if you want to. I think there's a visual representation of it as well, isn't there? So let's say, you know, and do you like to do your sort of offers face-to-face? Like, and this is not for, for example, if you're a punter on the street, would you sort of just send them an email like, this is my offer and this is my contract or would you sort of go in and give it to them or would you just give them a call? It really depends on each. And this is why I go back to that question about what's your process. So you have to understand that agent's process. And this is the thing that a lot of buyers get in their knickers in and not over. They want to go, well, I'm putting it in with a deadline and I'm not going to auction if you don't take it and all these sort of threats. And I'm like, that's fine in a, in a buyer's market. It absolutely doesn't hold in a seller's market. Mm. Buyers don't have the power in a seller's market and buyers have to realise that posturing and puffing out their chest and all the rest of it, it doesn't win them any favours and it doesn't actually help them get a deal. And so it's understanding the market conditions but also understanding the process that the agent will go through and be guided by that process and be cooperative. It doesn't mean you do everything that they say. It doesn't mean you pay them the money that necessarily that they say they want. It just means don't buck the system because the buyer that bucks the system will probably miss out on the property. Mm. So follow that agent's process. They're the ones calling the shots. As I said, the caveat is this is in a seller's market. And so if that agent says, look, I want, this is your deadline and you need to have best and final offers on a contract to me by, you know, five o'clock on X day, my question would be, And what if a buyer wants to offer more afterwards? And like, will you actually let people know what the highest offer is? Now, some agents will go, well, yeah, we will. And it's like, well, what's the point of putting your best and final? Others will say, no, that is it. We will sell with the best and the terms and and conditions and offer that the vendor chooses, right? And you need to know that because there's no point leaving money in your pocket hoping because if somebody else is prepared to pay more money, then they're going to buy it. I mean, that's the, always the worry, isn't it? Where you either catch 22, you want them to sort of not shop your offer too much for days and days and mm. days, which a lot of agents will sort of do that, right? They yep. get, get it to the max and then they don't commit and then they yep. go back around the roundabout again mm-hmm. and they get some more offers and, you know, sometimes it can take, you know, weeks and then maybe they're not even selling it, right? Maybe yep. they don't even update their price guide, which mm. is a, sort of another. So how do you sort of, is there any way to sort of stop them shopping that offer? Like, no. or is it? Um, you know, even those sort of commitments of, oh, I'm going to pull out or oh, you're going to yeah. lose me because I'm going to no. buy some other property or do you think it's you've just sort of got to whatever they want to do, that's what they're going to do? Well, yeah, and and the problem is, of course, that when there's an offer situation versus an auction, it's blind. And this is one reason that buyers start making offers because they, they want to avoid the pain of auction. They don't realise that this shopping around process is even more painful than an auction mm. because you cannot see those other buyers. You don't really know whether they exist or not and you really don't know whether they've made that offer or not. So in an auction scenario, there they are, you know, and this is tough. And so what a lot of buyers don't realise is that they're setting off this process when they actually start the pre-auction process, mm. which is another reason, once again, to ask the agent's process because if that's what they're going to do, I try not to get involved personally. You can't always avoid it because particularly if they're out there fishing for offers, they're going to find someone to take the bait mm. and then it's on. 
And so, but I don't want to inflame the situation. I don't necessarily want to encourage them. So there are times when I will get involved and I will get involved with a very strong offer because I'm confident it's highly competitive. I'm confident with the pricing research that we've done. I'm confident that it's the right property for a client. I'm confident we've done all the due diligence as well. And there's nothing that we don't know that we should know. There's a hell of a lot of confidence that goes into negotiating Mm. and it's in that really important information and the background of it. Now, when I'm confident there, then, you know, we we guide the client through. The other thing that I do with clients is that I say, right, you need to know your walkaway price before we commence negotiations because FOMO will kick in and you will start pushing your budget and pushing your limit and, and you know, when the emotions are running high. Mm. I want you to actually set, it's a bit like setting your limit before going to auction. I actually want you to push yourself and stress yourself and stress that, that pressure test, that limit before you're under threat of losing it. Well, I mean, it's hard though because it's it's such an emotional thing, right, sometimes and people say to you, I'm not willing to go more than 1.834 mm. and then you go, it gets into negotiation, you know, you start at maybe 1.7 or whatever, right, and it goes around the roundabout and now it's at 1.85 and then that fear of missing out, that fear of loss, that pain, I'm sure a lot of people sort of change it because that pain's not real. It's like a hypothetical. Um, <laughs> but then when that's a real pain, they know they're going to lose it. They sort of adjust it, right? Like I imagine. But it's worthwhile still going through that process because you can at least see how far you're going away from where you probably thought you were going to go. Is that sort of one of the benefits? Yeah. I mean, look, you and I have a mutual client and we bought a property for them probably about a month ago now. And it was an interesting because there were a property about two weeks earlier that we were going through this process with. So first one was an agent that is a well-known volume agent. You know, they basically put you on notice they're going to actually pull this auction forward or start negotiations and I'm like, here we go. Mm. So they're going to fish, fish, fish until they get that right offer that's enough to, it's like the tripwire, right? So we knew that and worked with the clients said, right, you need a limit. You need to be thinking about this before this all starts. We know it's going to start. We're not going to set it off, but we know it's going to start, right? Yeah. So they were ready and they set their limit. And we went, we were in that and the price still kept going up and, you know, we'd we'd hit it with varying bids, but, you know, they're just going around shopping to other buyers and they're working, 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 working and until the last man standing, right? So it got to a point, this client could have afforded this property, But one of the things that we do is price it and I encourage every buyer before they start negotiation to do their pricing research because this underpins our decisions around how far we push ourselves. It's not because the market's going up, not because of FOMO, not because they can't afford it, but it's what is this property really worth? What differential, how far are you prepared to push yourself over the recent recent sales? You know, there's all these questions, right? Mm -hmm. So in this particular case, the, the property was a very nice property in many regards, but it had two major limitations mm. and they knew that. And I said it got to a point where, where I was really uncomfortable with them pushing further, even though I knew they could and they probably wanted to. And I just said, I really need to step in to say, urge caution at this point. I really, I'm very nervous that you pay more than this now on this property. Yeah. And they, they backed out. And awesome. that very days later, a new one comes on the market, which they subsequently bought. That is a way better property for them. Yeah. And they ended up spending another 50000 But to my mind, it's worth a lot more than that extra fifty. Yeah, yeah. And that was a different 
process, although once again the agent was had decided, okay, I'm going to start this process, we're not going to wait to auction. It was a slightly different process, but we also had the same competitive. It was ramping up. And in that particular case, it actually went over what that client had said to me was their walkaway price. Mm. But I went back to them. I said, I want to redirect you to our pricing research on this property. It stacked up. If you push yourself further, it still stacks up. Mm. You're not going into FOMO territory here. Yeah. It's much more considered to push yourself over that walkaway price. And then they sort of revisited and sat down and we were able to buy enough time, I guess, in the negotiation for them to think that through. But it was supported by evidence. It wasn't just, oh, shit, I've got to give up. I've just got to throw everything at it, you know. And so I was delighted that they got that and way more delighted than I would have been if they bought the first one. And I think this is something I have noticed over the years with, you know, we're going to talk about the buyer's agent pitch later on, but I've also seen this with buyer's agents that it just will just buy it, you mm. know, buy that first property. Yeah. You know, end of the day, there's definitely conflicts in buyer's agency world and one of those is that you can only have certain buyers at certain price points. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> you know, because you create problems and, you know, they, if, you, if you get a client off your books, it opens up a hole that you can fill someone else with, mm. and especially buyers that are potentially taking some time. Home buying is not easy. It's highly emotional. And so you've got to be really careful sort of, you know, also sometimes realising you might not have the buyer's agent who's uh, working with your best interest yeah. sometimes there because what you did was, right, You, even though you know they potentially would have done it, you called the Jets and got them onto a much better property at a much better price, you know, value for money-wise. So, yeah, this sort of issue, though, is where let's say some areas are super competitive and got 10 good agents, you know, that are all selling you know, a handful mm. and maybe one selling a lot more, but some areas are not like that, you know. And if, for example, you have made offers that are more than what you're offering on this property, they know you've got the budget for it. Yeah. How do you sort of make sure that, they don't just get everything you've got out of them because agents are very good at sort of knowing when, you know, that they can't tap that button anymore. It's Look, that's a very good point and it is difficult to negotiate when you are negotiating with somebody who's a lot more skilled than you are and has a bit more information about you than you do about them and, and the vendor situation. So I did it recently on a property where this is an off-market property and I know that this particular buyer knew my client's budget hmm. and it we bought it a fair whack less than their upper budget. And the negotiation process had to start with, you know, I went in with less than what the, it was an off market and there was a, like an asking price. And I went in with less than what they were asking, but I, I fed back the agent, the agent's own comparables and said, each of these comparables you, you're using are bigger and better renovated. Hmm. And what I didn't add in, which was actually the truth, is that they were all I don't know, a couple months old. And honestly, if you factored them up according to growth, then they were definitely very, <laughs> they would have been over what we paid, right? But And agents aren't doing that. They sort of, you know, it's fun, sort of mm. funny anyway. But I did go back with those and he went off and he came back with another set of comps that you know, to notch the price up again. And, you know, I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Well, and, the first place. <laughs> look, the reality is that the asking price wasn't actually that that far out of the park, but I just thought, look, we, if we don't have to pay it, we shouldn't, right? But once again, I'd done the pricing research before I started negotiating. So if push came to shove and that owner would not budge, I'd already had that conversation with the client. Okay, if this is the case, this is a seller's market, 
This is a good property. It does stack up at the asking price. It's not bad value. You know, like it's obviously better value at less, but it's not bad value. So I would say to you, you need to be thinking, are we prepared to pay that price if push comes to shove, right? And so that was the sort of conversation I had with them. So they were thinking about that whilst I was doing the negotiating. Then there was a couple of little things that I did start digging my heels in. There were like things like it was an investment property and they wanted to pass a land tax adjustment off to my clients who were owner occupiers. And I was like, that just sort of sucks really. Yeah, I mean, there was a few, few grand in that, but they also – it was tenanted. It wasn't presented that well. They would have had to do quite a bit of work to it to actually bring it up to scratch in order to put on the market properly. These are all things that my client would need to do that, you know, if, that the owner doesn't need to do. And also that the owner gets a tax deduction on any of that money that they spend, right? Mm-hmm. So I, my final offer was were, I preempted the final offer by going in and saying, you know what, they aren't prepared to pay the asking price and these are the sticking points. So I sort of costed out what the building inspector had said, et cetera, et cetera, and I just sort of went back and I didn't tell them what the offer was going to be. And then when I went in with the offer, it was still less than the asking price, but I think it was more, well, it was more, it was more than if they'd added up all the things that I'd put in this email than they would have been expecting from us. So it felt better. Mm. And that was a tactic I use in that instance. So I don't use that all the time and there's very few opportunities to use any of that tactic in this market because, you know, normally we're not the only buyer on a property. But so that was just a process that we went through in that particular instance. So you've got to understand a value before you start any of this and then you've got to understand the circumstances and you've got to understand the agent and how they want to work. And once you've got all of that together, you can actually start to put together a reasonable negotiation strategy. We did an episode very early on in our podcast and we, it was a BATNA and it was all oh, about yeah. having an alternative, you know, in your mind, something that you're willing to sort of comp- – falls over or it goes to a certain price, you're okay with that because you've got an alternative. I think that was a really great episode where we basically, you, you know, before you start this negotiation, yes, you've got a certain price and you've also got some type of property that you may be interested in or, you know, something to sort of, you know, switch your attention to. And I think that's a really sort of powerful sort of thing when you get to sort of that stage of a price that you're not comfortable with. One final thing, I guess, on the negotiation let's say you go to auction it has to go to auction you don't win the auction and it's passed in because it hasn't hit reserve or for some reason but you're the top bidder how do you sort of change your negotiation strategy here you know how do you sort of get that deal or do you just say we'll talk about it next week I mean how do you sort of best play that (laughs) once again different states have different legislation in terms of after an auction how long you can still buy under auction conditions and so in Victoria, for instance, it's three days either either side of an auction. In New South Wales, it's up to midnight on the day of auction. So that is something that's in favour of the buyer to sort of say, look, I can buy unconditionally today or, you know, within this period of time, whereas if it ticks over that, then you're back out sort of with buyers making conditional offers. So it's it's a plus for the buyer as well too, to to be able to secure it. But so understanding the legislation is first thing. So you think, okay, well, 
this is where I've got strength. And, you know, you'll get agents saying, oh, I've got a buyer and, you know, they just couldn't get their finance sorted out for today, but they're pretty confident they're going to be here on Monday and all the terms, you know, they needed to, to you know, get some extra money from family, weren't able to be here at the auction. There's all this sort of dialogue that the agents will use to make you think there really is someone else there. And sometimes there is someone else there. But the reality is if you're the highest bidder at an auction, you are in the box seat. And despite all the bluff and bravado that goes on about other buyers, it's like, look, I'm here, I'm, you know, I've got a pulse, I've got a checkbook, <laughs> you know, I'm your buyer, so let's let's do a deal, you know, let's work a deal out. Now, sometimes agents can't do a deal because the vendor is out of control on price. And so you need to understand what that is. So you can ask things like, well, what is the reserve? You know, and, and look, they're going to try and get you over the reserve price, of course, but it's like, well, I'm not prepared to pay that. You know, I've already given you my top offer. Sometimes you can dig your heels in. It depends how competitive it was. If it was really mm. competitive and you know that everyone pushed themselves and you are the last person standing and you paid, you were fighting all these other people and there's no more dollars from those other people, then you can dig your heels in and you can say, do you know what? I saw that. You saw that. If you let me go, I probably won't be prepared to pay as much money on Monday. And I tell you what, those other buyers weren't prepared to pay as much money today. So you want to run that risk, knock yourself out. Hmm. So that that is very valid in a highly competitive auction. In one that's not so competitive, there's lots of reasons why it might not have been competitive. And it might be that they overquoted. It might be who knows? But but if there's a valid case to pay a bit more than what you've offered, what your highest bid is, and once again, it comes back to knowing values, right? Mm-hmm. If there's a valid case of paying a little bit more than that, then, you know, it's worthwhile continuing to negotiate. And what a lot of people get hung up on here, they say, oh, I don't want to bid against myself. And it's like, you're actually not. At this point of time, you're negotiating. Yeah. And that's the difference. And so, I will always go back to that foundation of understanding what a property is worth and use that as your base. And yeah. I'll pop in the, I'll pop a bunch of links in the show notes actually. One is for the little free course we've got at Home Buyer Academy because it does teach you that process of going through and actually yeah. starting to build up your knowledge of sales and of sale prices so that you can actually have much more confidence when you're at that point because some buyers walk away when they shouldn't and others continue negotiating when they shouldn't, you know? I guess that's the thing with negotiation. Like I think if you're selling a property, you know, people are very competitive and human nature is they want to be winners and, you know, sometimes, you know, people act irrationally because they always want to win things rather than focus on the result they want to win, right? (laughs) Um, Sellers and buyers, right? So, Mm. you know, I think ultimately the thing you want to win on is the quality of the asset. You know, not so much the price. You know, I always say you want to be happy with the property. You may not be 100% happy with the price, but you're not like really, you know, gutted how much you spent. But, you know, you might feel a little bit uncomfortable because you might have stretched a little bit further than you really wanted to. And, you know, but ultimately when you sleep at night and you, you know, are in the property, you know, you bought a great asset. And I think so sometimes the negotiation is, yeah, you're winning on the right thing, I guess. But you also want to know there's a certain price point where you, you know, really upset and you gutted and you know you can't afford it, et cetera. So, I mean, sometimes it's focusing on the right thing in the negotiation. So I was going to put a bit of a pitch at the end on why you need a buyer's agent, but I kind of feel like it's a little bit, you know, pointless a little because it probably was lots of value that people got where you know things and you can do things. But there was a few things that we didn't cover on, you know, maybe it's that local relationship and the intel you get from that local relationship. What are some of the other things where, a buyer's agent's always going to have the upper hand on, you know, the average punter. Well, I guess there's there's 
what to do. So you make that offer, then what? Mm. You know, so a buyer's agent, if they're experienced, and this is a bit of one of my bugbears is that, that for many years, you know, it's been very easy to get a buyer's agent license. So an experienced buyer's agent is going to know what to do next. So very rarely is your opening offer accepted. You are going to get a response or something, right? You might get no response. And in a pre-auction offer, sometimes that's what happens. You get nothing. No, sorry, the age, the owner doesn't want to sell <laughs> at prior to auction. Doesn't want to sell at that price, doesn't want to sell prior to auction. So if you're not getting a counter offer, you are miles off. And it might be that the vendor is completely unrealistic on price, or it might be that your offer is just ridiculously low, you know. So a buyer's agent is going to know what to do next. You know, most buyers, then that often that is when someone comes to us. They've gone, I made this offer and then I heard nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, give me the background. Okay, well, I can tell you why I heard nothing. You know, we just know it. We didn't know. It's a language that we know. We're very, very familiar with. And then if you do get a counter offer, then what? What does that mean? You know, and yep. quite often when agents, you know, come to us and try to fish for an offer and, you know, they'll, they'll be saying, oh, you've got someone coming in with an offer of X. And I'm like, has the vendor accepted it? Mm. Did they give a counter offer? You know, it's like you ask these questions. Most people aren't thinking about that. They go, "Oh, all right. Well, I better, I better get involved." You know, so it, it's it's that insight into what's really happening. It's like the, and I mentioned about the method. You know, how to deal with the method. What do you do in a best and final offer versus what do you do when they're shopping it around? You know, when do you have to get involved versus you're hanging on the sidelines? You know, all of that stuff. The other re thing too is about making pre-auction offers. People make pre-auction offers because they're fearful of auctions. Mm. And as I mentioned earlier, I think a pre-auction scenario is often more something to be more scared of. Yeah. But but so therefore they don't they make it for the wrong reasons. They're not tactical. They don't do it in a way that actually is going to have more chance of success. So it's all of that sort of rather than knee jerking and being reactive to everything. A good buyer's agent is going to be very much about guiding you through this process, even though it's a seller's market, your advantage is your insights into what's really going on and your the guidance as to is it a good enough property to push yourself on or not? You know, where does that pricing sit? Has all the due diligence been done? The confidence that you have moving forward versus somebody who's just panicking and yeah. might pay more than you and you might miss out and that's okay because they've just gone and done a crazy thing that you wouldn't do, you know. Yeah. So it's that's the, you know, but I have to caveat it and I'm, I'm more and more alarmed as, as I go as well because a lot of buyers agents haven't really mastered a lot of this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely, we've seen that. We've just had clients being recently butchered, I would call it, from, you know, inexperienced buyers agents mm. and, you know, they self-selected it through friends, you know, like the person, yep, yeah, they're going to give them a go. You know, I raised all my concerns around, you know, their experience and this is a big move for you in your life. Do you want to entrust it with someone? Maybe you should, you know, pay a similar price and use someone who's been doing it a lot longer mm. and still went ahead. And one, they had to come to me about the negotiation and I'm like, this is not me. You paid a buyer's agent. Oh, what God. are they doing? Yeah. And uh, they ended up, uh, that one, they still haven't bought. But they sacked the buyer's agent, which mm. was a good result in my mind because mm. they realised they didn't know what they were doing. The second oh. one um, <laughs> did buy with the buyer's agent but they missed out on the property that they wanted to buy and arguably they've got a 
probably just as good and they're just as happy, but I don't know if that's just themselves convincing themselves that. But the buyer's agent absolutely butchered that deal and pissed off the agent and the mm. agent didn't want to work with that buyer's agent. Mm. Tried all these tactics, threats, and it got really messy. And ultimately I think what happened there is the buyer's agent came in and tried to, you know, I'm the king here, yeah. uh, you need me, and the agent said, hang on a sec, this is a cracker property, you <laughs> don't, I don't need you, and pissed off the agent and the agent didn't want to sell it to mm. And agents do do that because agents are driven very much, you know, I think they're the kings and queens. So, yeah, you've got to be so careful around the buyer's agents and, yeah, they can do sometimes more harm than good if they don't know what they're doing. So the big thing for me, I think it is that sounding board, it is that person to sort of independent, they're not as emotional as you and can sort of say, look, you know, you're going too far like you did and step in or, you know, do you really love that property that much? I think, you know, that one's better suited to you and falling in love with the view, not with the, the actual realistic lifestyle of living in that property. So mm. lots of things that buyer's agent can add value that are intangibles until you go through the process. So hopefully that was great for the listeners and thanks for uh, answering my questions, Veronica. My pleasure. And, well, the other thing I'll pop in the show notes is that uh, link for that negotiation episode that we recorded yep. way back in the early days. That was with Fiona... <sighs> Mental blank on surname, but she's actually a negotiation specialist. So not a property specialist, but a negotiation specialist. Yep. So that's a really good episode, actually. Please join us for our next episode. We're going to do a deep dive into the FIRE movement in Australia. What is this you're asking? Financial independence, retire early. Sounds ideal, doesn't it? Well, join us and find out what it's all about and, you know, how some people are actually planning on retiring even in their 30s. Is it a pipe dream or is it possible? If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.